It's not difficult to control people's minds, thought Nicholas Knox to himself. You just have to give them something to be afraid of. He reached up and swatted a patch of ash from the shoulder of his dark, expensive-looking suit. He knew the speech he was about to give would be replayed again and again, and he meant to look his best. The lenses of the news cameras arranged in a semicircle in front of him yawned like hungry open mouths. I have something to say, said Knox in a commanding, strident voice as the eyes of the media focused on his keen, sharp-nosed face. The country deserves to know what happened here today. We have been lied to for too long. I have uncovered a shocking secret. My name, he told the country for the first time, is Nicholas Knox. And for months now, I have been investigating a secret organization that has been operating with the full knowledge and support of the authorities. An organization that threatens the very fabric of our society. An organization that calls itself the Heroes Alliance. This organization exists to cover up the fact that there are freaks in our midst. He raised his voice suddenly. People with strange and dangerous abilities. But instead of confining them for proper research and treatment, this secretive alliance has been allowing them to roam freely amongst us. And here you can see the result. He waved a hand behind him. The cameras zoomed out to reveal a panorama of tumbled concrete and twisted blackened metal. This alliance does not share our common values of openness, decency and fair play. Sadly, I was too late to stop this tragedy at Titan 13 today, but I solemnly promise you, I will not allow these maniacs to attack again. I demand an immediate meeting with our top government officials to present my research and to challenge them on their failure to act sooner. I will update you as soon as I can, but in the meantime, I must rest after the trauma of today's events. Welcome to the Good Reading Magazine podcast, sponsored by Pantera Press. Good Reading is a monthly magazine dedicated to books and reading and aims to help readers discover their next favourite book. You can find out more about the books discussed on today's podcast at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. Hello and welcome back to the Good Reading Podcast. I'm Max Lewis and today we're joined by Greg James and Chris Smith talking about the final entry in their beloved Kid Normal series, Kid Normal and the Final Five. In this thrilling conclusion, Murph and his friends have their secret identities revealed to the entire town thanks to the oily villain Nicholas Knox. After most of the super zeros are captured and family and friends mind controlled by Knox, it's down to the five remaining super zeros, Murph, Mary, Billy, Nellie and Hilda to put a stop to him for good. Greg and Chris, thanks so much for joining us today. Delighted to be here. Hello. Hello, uh, everyone in Australia. And hello in, in Sydney, where I briefly lived and worked in a pizza restaurant. Which, which <laughs> pizza was, restaurant? What, what, which one? It's called Zia Pina. It's in the Rocks. I have no idea if that's still there or not. I have not been to the Rocks <laughs> that much. I, I worked there all through the, the Sydney summer, running pizzas up and down the stairs in the boiling heat and lost 23 pounds. It's, it's a good workout good. plan. I recommend it to anyone. 
<laughs> I wonder if they, um, if they, after you left, Chris, they closed it down out of respect. Yeah, probably. They're like, we, we, we can't go on anymore without Chris Smith. Uh, but Max, thanks for having us. So how does it feel to have the final book of the Kid Normal series done and dusted? It feels weird because obviously it's been launched during lockdown. So mm. we've been kind of, you know, looking forward to, you know, getting it out there. And we had, you know, a really kind of quite emotional time writing it and kind of saying farewell to these characters. So it's it's amazing to get the story out there and to sort of bring the story of the Super Zeros to a conclusion. Um, but it's, it has been a shame not to be able to kind of get out and meet lots of readers. And obviously bookshops haven't been open and stuff. So yeah. it's been... Yeah, a slightly strange experience, I would say. And going back to before the series started, how did you two meet and decided to collaborate with writing? Well, we, we actually met on the radio. And uh, this is on Radio One, where I've done a show on there for, I mean, must have over about 13 years now. And um, I started on the early breakfast show and Chris Smith uh, was... Uh, was doing the news on that show mm. on one of the early morning shows and um, there was sort of a rotation of, of newsreaders at the, doing the 4.30 a.m. bulletin and one morning this voice that I'd known for years because I'd been a fan of Chris's work for a long long time on the radio and he'd moved radio stations and I heard this voice and, this, and he was like hello it's Chris Smith here because he buzzed down on the talkback I went hello what, what the Chris Smith and he went well a, a Chris Smith <laughs> and I immediately thought oh that's that's the guy that I know and then I ran upstairs to, to Newsbeat and uh, just said hello and I was like oh my god I love you and hi and and then from that point on uh, Chris sort of rose through the ranks of Newsbeat and then I changed shows on Radio 1 and then we just kept meeting on on various news bulletins and then on the drive time show uh, Chris was kind of was was doing the main Newsbeat so was around for that show and we just we we just had loads of fun and started doing a podcast and uh, did loads of stuff on the radio together and loads of silly games and characters and uh, and all sorts and the podcast became very uh like a little little cult hit i suppose because we did little characters and stories and we would do stupid voices and voice changer and create little mad worlds with the listeners and from and from from just talking and just being friends in the pub and whatever we'd we'd always wanted to write something down mm. whether it be a comedy or a screenplay or a, a film or a sitcom or something um, and so we just got our heads together and we're like, what, what is the thing we want to leave? Because radio is, as you know, and podcasts are very, they're there and they're gone. Yeah. Radio is sort of very, it's very instant, which is a wonderful thing, but also can be frustrating because you're like, well, that was really good. I want to hold that and, you know, keep that and open it up and give it another listen or, or go. So books is what we landed on. And then uh, we talked about what sort of book, what sort of novel, what's the, what's the mad world, what fits with our stuff that we come up with and and children's literature was really the obvious thing for us to to go to because we love reading we books were very important to us when we were kids and they obviously still are now and um that was how it, it came about and the actual idea was 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 knocked around a little uh, quite a while and um but yeah kid normal was the idea that we landed on and it, and it came from a seed from a holiday that chris was on five years ago actually it's five years ago almost to the day but um Greg and I sat in the park and I said, I've got this idea, it's got this, got this title and a little idea, and it's called Kid Normal, about a normal kid that gets sent to superhero school. And then Greg said, oh, right, well, what are the teachers like? What friends would he make? And we started talking about what it would be like. And from that one meeting in the park, we realised we had, a, had an idea that we really liked. And here we are four books later. Not bad, is it? 
pretty good, yeah. <laughs> and so how did Erica Salcedo come on board as the illustrator? And what was the process of bringing the superheroes to life on the page with her drawings? Well, I mean, the most, I think the most exciting part of the process so far, actually, there have been loads of exciting parts of the process, but one of the most exciting bits was kind of showing the, um, the, the sample of the text to lots of different illustrators and then getting their kind of sample illustrations in. Mm. So there were a few illustrators that all sort of sent their ideas for what the characters would look like, what the baddies would look like. Uh, and um, as soon as we saw Erica's, there was one particular mm. picture that Erica had drawn of Mary, which, is a, which appears on the back of the first Kid Normal book, actually, almost as it was done that first sample wearing her scarf with her glasses on and we just went, she gets it. She mm. can absolutely see those characters. Um, Erica had done a picture book for Bloomsbury called Wolfish Stew, but hadn't done lots of um, illustrating in the in the UK for kids books. So we were like, she is absolutely the one. Uh, and she's just been, she's just been brilliant. She totally, absolutely gets those characters. I think she uh, definitely identifies with Nelly the most. And, uh, um, uh, she's just be, you know, become an amazing part of the Kid Normal team, yeah. And as you said, the series focuses on Murph, who is normal in a world where many people have superpowers. Why did you want to focus on a main character that doesn't have superpowers? The idea of Murph is that he is all of us, and he's definitely bits of me and bits of Chris and bits of Lucas and um, Chris's son. But he, it, it's, it's really, he's the, he's the reader, whether, wherever, wherever you might end up in your life, a new job or a new house or a new school where you just feel overwhelmed and you feel like it's, it's, there's too many amazing people around you that know what they're doing. I guess it's sort of, it works for many different types of people. It, it actually works for, for people who sort of go into adulthood and you suddenly go, I've got to rent a flat. How do I do that? And what, how do you pay the gas bill? All those sorts of things. Mm. It's just... It's those classic things where you go, oh, I'm, I've got to look after myself, look out for myself now, but everyone seems really impressive and together. And actually it's an exploration of not, nobody knows what they're doing <laughs> and everyone's got frailties and vulnerabilities. So that's really who Murph is in the book. And you realize that everyone he meets has got flaws just like he has. And um, we wanted to really, I suppose, uh, really magnify that problem of uh, feeling out of place by just literally going well that person's a superhero and you're not and what you can't fly but that person can but does that mean that that person's better than you no not necessarily so that's really who murph is hmm. and those who have superpowers whether they're the super zeros or the rogues they have quite wacky capabilities as they're, <laughs> as they're known i was really curious how you managed to come up with some of the absurd powers <laughs> that you have well, we just love the idea that, you know, the, the logic behind superheroes we've always felt has been a bit twisted. So there are these people that yeah. just through some flaw in their DNA or an asteroid strike or whatever it happens to be, they, 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 have, these, they have these abilities. But we always thought, well, if that's random, if that's a random process, why do they always end up with really useful abilities? So if superheroes can always fly or have X-ray vision or super strength or, uh, or like laser eyes or leap tall buildings in a single bound. So... We just said to ourselves, well, look, if that's a random process, then for every person that can run faster than a locomotive, there is someone that can literally produce a random smell of petrol for no reason. There's just <laughs> no limit to the kind of weird random superpowers that you can have. And that really played into the idea of the, 
what happens at the school because some of the kids who are obviously the cool kids have got the cool superpowers and then there's the kids that Murph make friends with, like like Hilda, mm. who can produce two tiny horses from nowhere, which is <laughs> you know not the kind of superpower that would necessarily get you into the Avengers, but you know for Hilda, it's the coolest power in the world. So it's you know again, it's part of our message about accepting your differences and your individuality and embracing whatever the universe has given you because it's there, you know, for a reason. And once you learn how to use it. There's no limit to what you can do, I guess. Mm. And and the other part of it is that Chris and I love taking the mickey out of things. And we love spoofing. We love parody and send-ups of stuff. So this is supposed to be a loving parody of the superhero genre to a certain extent. And as Chris was saying, not everyone should be amazing and their power should not be useful all the time. And it's um, it's been really fun to play around with that sort of stuff. And throughout the series, is there a particular, particularly favourite Super Zero or Rogue you've come up with that you have a soft spot for? <laughs> there's so many. I mean, there's so many that are joyful to write. We particularly, I think a lot of pe- a lot of writers say this, but we love writing villains, and we love. I can tell. We love yeah. write. <laughs> we love. You can you can tell that we really enjoy those moments where we've got Nicholas Knox or Magpie in particular is really fun to write, and and Nexar from from the first from the first book. He was particularly fun to write because he was so stupid as well um, and didn't realise he was stupid. But my personal favourite per- person to write and get in the head of, and I wonder if Chris thinks this in terms of a, from a comedy point of view, is Mr. Flash. Mr. Flash is the very brash, very um, dense uh, CT teacher. So he's the capability training teacher, but essentially like a PE teacher. And he is your classic... PE teacher and I know I know you have them in Australia yep, as well we do. those yep. characters those characters who are uh, incredibly macho and incredibly like you well if you can't do play rugby then you're nothing you maggot and much, you know yeah. it's all those it's all those people that we went to school uh, with and were taught by sort of distilled into this mad feels like ex-military kind of, kind of guy um, called Mr. Flash and he's really fun to write isn't he Chris? I love Mr. Flash. Uh, and um, in terms of the villains, I think my personal favourite in this book is the sponge. Because um, <laughs> he's, he's a villain who's entirely made of sponge. So whenever he gets damp, he doesn't really dry correctly. So he smells really horrible. So every time people are around and they're like, oh, what is that disgusting smell of badly dried sponge? And he's really self-conscious about it. So I'm curious as well if there was a superpower that you came up with that you decided was maybe a bit too ridiculous to go in the book. No, nothing, nothing's ever <laughs> anything, too ridiculous. Anything, anything went, any idea you had, you had was just perfect. It, it, it's the beauty of creating a world, isn't it? And that's been the most enjoyable thing about it. So when the first book was done and, and people liked it and we thought, oh my God, there's a, that is a world that didn't, did not exist before. And actually, because you set your own parameters of nonsense, you can just put anything in there. And the, the, you, you, you are not restricted by anything because anything goes, because it's, it's your thing that you've created. Yeah, I mean, you have to be careful not to go too... Uh, to obscure and make sure it's always funny and interesting or, or you know it has a has a point to it but yeah there's nothing I wonder if Chris has found something from the book I see I see you looking at the well screen. yeah in, in Kid Normal and the Final Five there's a bit where um, one of the one of the villains is is saying a load of other villains that he's going to get in touch with and we use loads of names there that we come up with for bad guys <laughs> that we didn't that we kind of didn't write them so you get this kind of 
kind of phone book of villains that we never hear described, but you get their names. So it's like Volcanoes, Marshmallows, Bazooko Pangolin, Grandad Gammon, Explodo Knees, Porkwing, Glueface, Lucky Llama, Brian Elbows, The Shrub, Local TV News Reporter, <laughs> Lady Lynn, Canal Gremlin, The Doctor's Receptionist. So I just love all those ideas that like all these villains are out there and you can just imagine kind of what they're like from their names. Yeah, yeah they, were, I mean, they were too ridiculous to actually be written as characters, but they're, they're out there in the wider world. Like we, I mean, me and Chris have got a little book of, um, of terrible titles for kids books as well which so you, you there's always you have to keep yourself in check mm. and uh, and make sure you're not just you know churning out the first thing that comes into your head and we're very careful to be like okay that sounds funny is it actually going to be funny and useful um what were some of the titles for kids books that we might do in the future what was it um the fart banana was one of them that's a good. little drummer pig a little drum- <laughs> <laughs> um stop that's not my grandma uh <laughs> that's a good one that, that raises so many questions straight away <laughs> so yeah we, we have to keep ourselves in check you have to self-police that it's not yeah. just terrible stuff the that's the series is so full of that kind of absurd surreal humor that's perfect both for adults and kids um so i was curious what some of your comedic influences are either growing up or now um and how they might have impacted how you write your books well you definitely find yeah a lot a lot of a lot of little kind of Easter eggs and quotes and stuff in yeah. the book. So there is a lot for that adults will will get. So we really like the idea that a kind of a grown up will be will be reading the books with their kids, you know, or or indeed on their own. That's fine as well. And they will see a little quote or a little character and kind of you get that moment of connection with the author where you're like, oh, I, yeah. I see what you're referencing there. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious that we that we love um, Monty Python. Uh, all Michael Palin's work, you know, ripping yarns and that kind of stuff. Um, there's definitely something of the Monty Python soft fruit sketch in um, in Mr. Flash. He's definitely kind of a John Cleese kind of character. Um, you'll find lots of Star Wars references in there that I've just put in there for nerdy reasons and references to the sitcom Spaced and the, the never-ending story and the Dark Crystal and all kinds of little, little nerdy quotes that... Um, if you get them, you get them. Yeah, there's some. Fun, I mean, there's some fun little other Disney bits as well. Like we actually had to credit the Lion King and Frozen in the uh, really? in the uh, in the bits at the front of the book. It actually, so there's like a legal bit. Um, huh. We've had to quote a couple, a couple of the jokes had to be attributed to them. Yeah, Monty Python, obviously, but in in general, just things that are wonderful spoofs. So I was hmm. heavily and am heavily influenced still by things like Airplane and The Naked Gun. Yeah. And those sorts of films, which I just always find brilliant. And the, I guess those sorts of shows which, which break the fourth wall. And that's what we like to do in Kid Normal is have a very strong uh, sense that it's been written by two people who are having fun at the same time. So we will duck out and jump out of the book and go, just a little pause here. I know it's getting a bit dramatic. So here's a funny story about Alan Rabbit, for example. So all those bits where you're talking to the reader we really like and inadvertently i guess we've we've stumbled across a, a style that that kids would would recognize in in future books that was actually a question that i forgot to write down but in uh, the final five you mentioned that some fans got a bit angry about the story of alan rabbit was that actually true or was that just a a bit for the book not, not so much angry but we um yeah so alan rabbit uh is a little uh, basically a beatrix potter spoof that appears 
at dramatic moments in all four of the books when we kind of <laughs> go, let's let's just break the action here because it's getting very dramatic. And we were kind of doing it to deliberately be annoying and uh, <laughs> because Beatrix Potter is fun to take the mickey out of. Um, so we, we had a couple of people at, at literary festivals, I think, just saying like, why have, you put a, why have you put a rabbit story in your book? But having said that, there are other people, particularly our editor at Bloomsbury, who loves Alan Rabbit. I think that's the bit she looks forward to most. <laughs> what does that say? <laughs> exactly. Would read a standalone Ra Alan Rabbit adventure. Who yeah. knows? Well, I think that's why the book is so charming, at least to me, that it manages to be really witty for a kid's book without resorting to the kind of toilet humour that a lot of books around this kind of similar age bracket tend to go for. And that's not to say that those kind of books are bad, but they're not necessarily everybody's cup of tea. Did you make a conscious effort not to be that lowbrow in the humour? Uh, yeah, I think we I think we did. We sort of, I think we, always, we used to laugh to each other and said, we don't want to write a book that's uh that, that that was called um dr poo poo and the super farts or anything like that yeah. you know kind of, <laughs> <laughs> and like you say you know the, the, there's nothing wrong with that and we all we all find, kind of find that stuff funny uh, you know from time to time but uh, i guess you know we we've never I, maybe the the key to it is that we didn't really write a book for children we just wrote a book mm. you know we wrote the first book that we wanted to write there's no there's no effort to kind of do anything you know different because the book is for kind of you know eight to twelve year olds we just mm. wrote that we would find funny and our sense of humor is probably about you know 10 years old so yeah it just it just has turned out to be a kid's book the other really important thing i think is that we we are well trained on the radio not to patronize anybody uh, of course yeah. and, and particularly not talk down to kids and chris has a kid you know i've got a niece and nephew and it's 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 great to talk to kids as if they are humans not just like hello children today we're going to be talking about superheroes yay i mean that's maybe fine for a three-year-old or something but on the radio you just you you in, if it's fun you enjoy it and um i guess it's sort of as long as it's family friendly <laughs> that was our only thing you know it can't be a, a book yeah. full of swear words and and it's it's supposed to be fun and and actually we talked a lot about this and like when we were kids what did we like and yes we liked lots of the books that you would expect we liked and you know Enid Blyton and Dahl and Winnie the Pooh and all the rest of it but actually our your tastes tend to be more aspirational and you go well actually i want to I want to like, you know, slight things that are slightly older for, mm. you know, for older kids or whatever. So actually this, the, the idea of him being 11 was deliberate because 11 is an age where you go, oh, I still remember being a kid and I still get excited about Father Christmas. And also I, I'm nearly a teenager and that means I'm, I can nearly swear and I'm nearly at big school and I'm, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff's ahead of you. So it was deliberately done to, to put him as, a, as an 11 year old. Because that's an age where you go, oh yeah, but I want to watch that slightly naughty comedy that mum and dad like. And going back to the final five, we see the return of Nicholas Knox playing the villain. Why did you want to bring him back for the finale? Well, he kind of has been always bubbling under through all four books. So he was sort of, we sort of first meet him in, in the first book and then he and then he disappeared for a bit. But we always knew that that he was kind of the big 
the big baddie, which is why he's got this sort of rather rather portentous name, you know, Knox, mm. the darkness and night, and Nick being kind of a, a, a synonym for the, for the for the devil. So he's always been kind of the the big bad, and and he is really kind of the complete opposite of Murph powers and and being a being able to be a really good hero without superpowers. Well, Nicholas Knox doesn't have superpowers and is able to be a really kind of evil villain. So it's just kind of uh, bringing home that message that it's not about what powers you've got, it's about what sort of a person you are that makes you either a hero or a villain. And um, we just like the idea of Knox being kind of a uh, an oily, just a kind of corporate kind of villain with his with his shiny shoes. He's like the nasty boss, you know, that everyone wishes they didn't have sometimes. He, yeah, he's so he's an important character without giving too much away about what, what happens in the book, but him and what he feels about superheroes and Murph and what he feels about superheroes uh, are the two kind of differing messages that come together and, and, and bring the climax to this book, basically. Mm. And also we thought that he was weirdly quite a timely leader in, in as the, with the world as it is, you know, he is the sort of person that would galvanize a nation uh in the way that he does in the in the final book and we thought actually accidentally sort of accidentally we've 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 stumbled across a modern day <laughs> president lead prime minister type character and you go well this is this is the the rhetoric that is being spouted by a lot of people so he was um he was the perfect choice really because he would be believable because he's so he he, he sort of looks a certain way and he speaks a certain way and people will go oh yeah I, I, I see what that guy's doing he's he's for me but actually of course he's very much for himself hmm. well that actually that point brings me to my next question was that this book in particular is full of themes of misinformation and propaganda and bigotry and that kind of stuff which is pretty refreshingly bold for a for a younger reader's novel why did you want to incorporate these themes into the book well, I think uh, you know again it comes down to not not talking down to anybody so these are the these are the themes that are you know being talked about a lot in the world and um kids kids are aware of it kids are aware of what's going in the world and 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 it's right that they're that they have narratives about you know about misinformation and about what you're told by you know by leaders by the media where this information is coming from and and how you can kind of be an informed viewer and listener of it there's there's no there's no minimum age to start start talking about this stuff so yeah it did it did feel very timely a lot of stuff that's been going on while we were writing it and oddly you know after we finished writing yeah it's been and after it's been published as well so um yeah i guess they were just they were themes that were in our in our heads at the time and then and they're they're always going to come through. Given that we're in a bit of an uncertain period right now, I was wondering if you had any advice for our listeners who might be feeling like they don't have a lot of power during these times. Yeah, well, the advice would be you do have a lot of power and there are things you can do. I mean, we're going to talk generally here. I guess we're talking about the uh, the race, uh, the, the protests at the moment in America and well, all around the world, but also, you know, politics being quite uh, divided and and there being lots of uh, lots of awful rhetoric spouted i guess uh, and obviously the coronavirus but yeah it's it, there's there's varying things you can do but i i suppose the main advice is do what you can in your local community and whether that be your close friends and family or literally writing to your 
local leaders, MPs, etc. Um, looking after your patch and making sure everyone around you is good. If, if I know it's idealistic, but if everyone did that, then the patchwork quilt of the whole world gets covered <laughs> eventually. Um, so there's that, and it's you know it's about it's about reading up and and learning and um, and and listening mainly. I would say to people is is listen to other people's complaints and listen to their views and then um and learn about them and work out how we can can move things on um together i suppose i think it's exactly as greg says you know it's it's tempting to think that there are lots and lots of massive things happening in the world but actually they're not massive things they're a collection of very tiny things and if mm. you think that things are heading in the wrong direction then all you can do is do tiny things that you think are heading in the right direction and if we all do that, then the big things will head in the right direction as well. It's like we're we're all, you know, we all feel like little termites. But as long as we march in the right direction and build the right stuff, we'll end up building something really massive together. Absolutely. Well, Greg and Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Us. Thanks, man. Hello, hello to everyone in Sydney. And when all this is over, we, can we please come visit? Yes, for Absolutely. the ashes. Yes. <laughs>